Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Speaking of the other writ, I mentioned the primary writ, the one on the other side of the glass, who apparently is all busted up. I haven't asked him why, because I don't want to know. However, I could talk about the other writ. It's been a real rough 48 hours for Nate Ritt. There's Garrett Ritt, a.k.a. Ike. And there's Nate Ritt, a.k.a. the twin brother Brother. of the old man in the back row on the other side of the glass here in the jungle, a.k.a. Nate Can't Hack It, a.k.a. the dude who tried a 64-yard field goal instead of letting his quarter of a bill quarterback get five yards. Nate Hackett flopped in his Broncos debut Monday night in the worst way imaginable. We hit that hard yesterday. But then, after the program, he flip-flopped on one of the worst decisions we have ever seen on an NFL field. Like, most NFL head coaches never, ever admit they're wrong. Hell, old man Ritt on the other side of the glass has never, ever admitted he's wrong when he's never, ever been right. But it only took Nate Ritt about 14 hours after his first game in charge and it as badly as it did for him to get up in front of the assembled media and say, oh, oops, excuse me, my bad. bad. I called it wrong, my bad, oops. My bad, my friend. Oops, should have let Russ cook, oops, Uh, excuse me, my bad. So I... In one sense, I really want to throw some credit at this guy for doing that. I really do. Because this dude is getting absolutely annihilated. He's getting absolutely roasted. So what I want to do is pick this dude up and give him some credit for actually owning it in a world where almost nobody owns anything. You know, in years past, I've always said, America is an extremely forgiving nation, especially of athletes and other public figures. Just as long as they apologize and they're sincere and they mean it when they do. Now, having said that, I've also always said that there are certain things that you cannot apologize for. And running your kicker out to try the second longest field goal ever made as opposed to asking your quarter of a billion dollar quarterback to pick up a fourth and five against his former team in his first time in an opposing uniform is one of those things that you simply cannot apologize for. But old Nate Ritt actually tried to do so. Tried to slam that Crow Sando right down his esophagus in front of the assembled media only to choke on that just as he choked at the end of the game Monday night. You know, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Um, Just not, not, you know, one of those things. You look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. Um, But in that situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. Uh, We were third and 15, I think, third and 13. I'm more upset about that play before it to lose yards, to be able to, you know, Getting that there would have definitely uh, been better to be able to call that same play and get extra yards. But um, he dumps it out to Javante. Javante makes a move, goes a lot farther than I think we had anticipated. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark, you know, the mark that we had all set before we started. We said uh, 46 yards, uh, 46 yard line was where we wanted to be. And uh, we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to, uh, you know, Brandon. And we did. 
and it didn't work. It sucks, but hey, that's part of it. Yeah, no, it's not. Mama Cass, with that bologna sandwich lodged halfway down her esophagus, cannot believe how badly you just choked on that. Did you hear that guy flip-flop again right in the middle of that answer? Because it started off fine when he began with, quote, we definitely should have gone for it. You know, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Bam! Stop! Stop! You definitely should have gone for it, and you definitely should have stopped right then and there. Because he's right. He definitely should have gone for it. And that's all that needed to be said. But then he started to channel his inner gum-murdering Pete Carroll. Listen, even if the guy did stop right there, and he had to, had to, I still would not have accepted the apology. Even if there was an apology, because that decision was that bad. As I mentioned, there's some things you cannot apologize for. But come to find out, that was not even an apology. That wasn't ownership of one of the worst decisions ever made. Dude did not get it then, and he still does not get it now. Now he's puking out nonsense like, of course we should have gone for it because we missed the field goal. Listen, let me help you out here, Nate Ritt. It's not a bad decision because it didn't work. It's a bad decision because it's a bad decision. And no one anywhere thinks otherwise except you. You tell me, genius, which is more likely, your Hall of Fame quarterback who you just mortgaged your future for and committed a quarter of a bill to converting on fourth and five, a situation the teams converted on nearly half the time last year. Nearly 50% of those teams that went for it on fourth and five last year made it. You tell me what's more likely, that or asking your kicker to make the second longest kick in league history and not even at altitude or above it. Dumbest decision ever and anything short of owning that as the dumbest decision ever is the dumbest thing ever and that's exactly what you're doing one game in and you're already on the wrong side of your franchise quarterback already behind the eight ball already taking crazy amounts of shrapnel like I said yesterday Nate Ritt somehow managed to do the impossible he got all of Twitter to agree on one thing that's never been done before All of Twitter agreed that that was a straight bonehead call. And nobody more so than Pinky, Pinky Jr., and former Bronco great Shannon Sharp, who were losing their collective bleep watching it all go down on the Pinky cast. They look unsettled. Sutton doesn't know what he's doing. Hurry up. Time out. Time out. Time out. What the? So you just burned 30 seconds to call a timeout? A lot of time wasted right there to call a timeout, Pate. Yes. Right? Even now, if you, even if you get five yards, Pink or Pate. you still got two timeouts, but you got you to get some yardage. They're going to kick it. They're going to kick it. Kick what? Oh, they're, gonna kick. they're kicking it right here? Kicking the field goal right here. Hold on. Oh. How about, they're kicking let me see how far this 62-yarder, 63-yarder. What? Shannon sounded like he was going to get in the elevator and go down there. Hey, again, everybody watching that train wreck was on the same exact page. Everybody except the dude running the show for the Broncos. Nobody needs to hear about 
the plan or the mark. Like Nate Ritt. Because the plan was terrible and the mark was bogus. And none of it makes any sense whatsoever, especially for a purported offensive genius. And no, you don't get a pass because that was your first game as an NFL head coach. Nate Ritt, even the real Ritt, would never do something that stupid. That mark, that mark he's talking about, was based on a field goal distance that was absurd. A distance that Brandon McManus has never hit in his entire career, even in the thin air of mile high. So it's moronic to just decide, like, arbitrarily, when we get to the 46, the 46, we're going to kick it, no matter what. When we get to the 46, no matter what the situation is, how many timeouts we have, how much time is left on the clock, if we get to the 46, we kick it. Why? Why? Who does that? especially when you have that much time left on the clock, especially when you have all your timeouts left, especially when you have one of the most clutch quarterbacks ever who you know badly wants to stab his former team and all those 12s who've been booing his ass all game long right in the heart. But no, you trust your kicker more than you do your quarterback. You trust your kicker to do something that he's never done before more than you trust the quarterback who has spent his entire Hall of Fame career doing just that. Oh, and the kicker even got two swings at it and he missed them both. So even if you had legitimately apologized, which you didn't, Nate Ritt, I would not have accepted it anyway. So I'm really not going to accept that bogus non-apology slash explanation. My dude, you took the most disastrous debut an NFL coach could have ever had. You had a night to sleep on it. You wake up and somehow you make it even worse. That is not easy to do. But one game into your career, you did exactly that. Sucks, but hey, that's part of it. No, it's not. It's definitely not part of it. Any, never mind a purported offensive genius like this guy's supposed to be, any moron could have made that call. And that's not hindsight being 2020. There isn't anybody watching that game in that very moment who said, The hell are they doing? So I've got a question for you guys. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said 48 hours. Generally, if something seems too good to be true, it is, but not in this case. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it does protect it. You want that. You need that. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Charles Huff. Charles, good to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. This is one of my uh, favorite uh, shows to listen to, and 
it's a pleasure and an honor to be on. My man, I would say the same thing about you, Coach. Always good to have you on the show. Always look forward to the conversation, and especially after a major, major win like that. Let me start right there. The moment and the big stage clearly were not too big for your guys. They did not blink. They did not flinch. I'm curious, what was your message to them throughout the week and in the moments leading up to that game? Yeah, you know, all week we just talked about, you know, understanding that we weren't playing um, the number eight team in the country. Uh, we weren't playing the history and tradition of Notre Dame. We weren't playing the Four Horsemen. We weren't playing Rudy. We weren't playing Touchdown Jesus. Um, and that's no disrespect to their history and tradition, but sometimes that history and tradition can, can overshadow and overwhelm kids. Um, I told them all week, I said, we're playing a really good football team that wears gold helmets. Um, and, and I think, you know, when they focused in on just the fact that, hey, we're playing a good football team, they happen to wear gold helmets, they got strengths, they got weaknesses. If we focus on the things that we can control and go play really, really hard, we got a chance. We're talking to Marshall head football coach Charles Huff. Listen, I know, I know this. I want to preface this by saying I know it's not about you. It's never going to be about you. It's all about the program. It's about the players. It's about the school. It's about the university. It's about everything except you. However, since you've been a part of that coaching staff and at Alabama and you've spent some time in the NFL with the Bills, you've been a part of some really, really big moments, dramatic moments. So where does this Notre Dame win rank for you as a signature victory and moment? Um, you know, obviously, um, as a head coach, this is probably, you know, one of the bigger moments. And I think, again, because the moment is so meaningful to so many other people. You know, you talk about a city in Huntington, West Virginia. It's not very big. Um, you know, we don't have a, you know, a beach here. We don't have a Hollywood Boulevard. You know, we just got a really tight-knit community. And this community pulls for this university. And the players, you know, embrace the community and actually see the players go out and play for this community and see all of the, you know, the fans that cried and, and cheered and were just so elated to, to, to be in that moment was good for me. Um, I got a call from one of the young Thundering Herd, you know, teammates, and he said, Coach, um, we beat Xavier, you know, after the plane crash. That was the best moment of my life. And he said, you just created the second best moment of my life. And and to just have that impact on, you know, a group of people or a community and these players, you know, it really makes you understand what the game of college football is really about. All right, so what a great story that is. Charles Huff is joining us. You know, speaking of what the game of college football is all about, I thought you made a really interesting statement in the aftermath of that win when you said, quote, where college football is now, the intimidation factor probably goes out the window, end of quote. Again, that's really interesting to me. What did you mean by that? Yeah, you know, with with the transfer portal, you know, the, the, the logos on the helmet don't really, you know, determine or justify the, the level of players on the field. You know, we've got 24 transfers on our team. So, you know, we've got guys from the Big Ten, the SEC, um, the ACC. Um, those guys have played in those arenas before. Those guys have played on that big stage. Those guys have played Notre Dame. Some guy, we got some guys from Florida State that played Notre Dame last year. So with where the transfer portal is, I don't think it's, you know, small school versus big school anymore. I think it's, you know, culture versus culture, program versus program. And I think what you're going to start to see more and more of because of teams having multiple power five transfers on their team, the logos on the side of the helmet don't necessarily dictate what's going to happen on the field. And I think we've got to embrace that. We've got to understand that now with where college football is because of the transfer portal and all these things that are going on. Um, you know, the old days when, when Michigan lost to App State, you know, that was kind of like a miracle. Well, now 
you know, we, every every team at every level has different level players on it. So I think we're going to see a lot more of what happened on Saturday, obviously, with us and App State and Georgia Southern. I think we're going to start to see more and more of that. And we're going to have to really realize that college football's changed. All right, so I'm going to go back to the portal in just a minute, and I appreciate what you just said. Charles Huff joining us. Speaking of App State, I talked to Sean Clark yesterday, and we talked about that enormous win where they went in and they beat Texas A&M and, of course, Georgia Southern beat Nebraska in Nebraska. I mean, these are all great, great individual wins for their programs and their schools, but what about the conference? What about the Sun Belt? How enormous a weekend was that for the conference? Yeah, I think, you know, what Commissioner Gill has done with this conference is, is, is top of the line. You know, every everybody in this conference realignment, you know, challenge is trying to check two boxes. One, the revenue box from the TV, you know, revenue and making sure that you're putting yourself in that market. And then two, regional rivalries, you know, making sure regionally your your, your conference stays strong. I think the Sun Belt has done that probably better than anybody. Obviously, the revenue is not the same as some others, but the two together, you know, they've done a really good job. And I think what that's going to show is right now, in my opinion, the best group of five conference in the country is the Sun Belt because of the other schools who have left and gone to the Big 12. You know, no disrespect to the AAC, but losing, you know, Central Florida and Houston to the Big 12, you know, I think the Sun Belt is showing now that we are the premier conference on the group of five level. Talking to Charles Huff, you know, you mentioned you have 24 new players. When you hit the transfer portal this offseason and you've got so many new guys, and by the way, paying dividends already, specifically what types of players and individuals were you looking to add this past offseason when you hit that portal? Yeah, well, we went out for, for you know, for two things. One, one of our kind of rules in our program is we don't recruit anybody out of the transfer portal that somebody in the building doesn't already know. Um, because I do think with as much as going on in the portal, you can bring in some guys that don't fit your culture and end up tearing down your culture. So all the guys we brought in, somebody knew, either recruited them in high school, worked at the other school they were at, knew their high school coach somehow, some way. And then from my time at Alabama, I realized that this game is one up front. So we wanted to build our, our team from the front back, meaning the front seven. We wanted big, physical, um, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and we wanted to make sure that we had depth. So, you know, we went out and we, we got, you know, a bunch of D linemen from, you know, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten um, to be able to compete at a high level. You know, I think, again, the game is won in the trenches. Obviously, the execution goes on all over the field, but the game is won in the trenches. And for my time there at Alabama, you got to have depth in the trenches in order to make it and sustain, you know, throughout the year. Marshall, Zach, Bowling Green, Saturday. In fact, that's an NFL Network game. That's 5 p.m. Eastern. So you mentioned the two things specifically that you were looking for. Is the third thing maybe? Was there anything about this? Do you you look for guys that maybe either fall out of favor or do not get an opportunity like they think they're going to get an opportunity, and then maybe they've got that chip on their shoulder and they've got something and it just wasn't a fit, but you can fit them into your family and culture, and they had that little extra it, that little extra chip. Do you target guys like that? Yeah, I, I think we do. You know, I think the big piece in all of this is the relationship. And, and that's why, you know, we make sure that somebody in the building knows the kid because we got to know what their why is. We got to know why they're transferring. We got to know what makes them tick. We got to know, you know, what what is it that, you know, it, it makes this kid special and is he going to make it here in Huntington? You know, there's guys on our team that, you know, for whatever reason, didn't feel wanted at other places and feel like this is their second opportunity at the game they love. Um, so they play with a little more edge. You're able to coach them a little bit harder. You know, they work a little bit harder. Um, and I think you saw a little bit of that on Saturday. You know, we take pride in how hard we play. 
Um, but you got to have a reason to play hard. Coach Huff just can't say, hey, go play hard. Um, you got to have a reason. And I think some of these guys that have had, you know, um, experiences at other places realize that this is a second opportunity. This family loves me. This coaching staff loves me. Um, and I'm going to give it my all, not only for myself, but for this program. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse yet, how the rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, why don't we get back to doing what we do best, talking some junk and talking sports. You know, what we do, where we live, who we are. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms do apply. Do they, I mean, very clearly, I think you hit on something key. They got to have a why. They have to have a why. And it's not necessarily up to you for, it's not your responsibility to give them their why or tell them their why. If they don't have a why, will you take a shot on them? And like, will you assume that they'll find their why? Or do they need that why before they walk through that door? Well, I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, most kids have their why. I think a lot of times it's, it's most kids don't understand what their why means to them, right? Everybody has a why. Well, I want to play for my family. Well, what does that mean? Do you want to create value for yourself so you can take care of your family? Um, is someone in your family, you know, wish they were in your shoes, whatever that is. I think our biggest thing, if they don't have one, it's for us to show, well, you do have one, but this is what it means to you. Um, because a lot, everybody's got something, you know what I mean? Now, they may not understand what that means, but it's our job as coaches to show them what that means to them. You know, and what, you know, and I think you show that by, you know, showing them what the university means to the community, what the university means to the country, you know, what the university means to college football. And sometimes that helps them dig a little deeper into their story and connect the dots and figure out what their why really means to them. Charles Huff joining me for another moment or so. Look, I know that you're going to continue to speak to them about process, process as opposed to results or outcome, but they are still young athletes with plenty of people in their ear and social media where everybody's going to blow them up. I know that you probably feel like, hey, look, we've got a mature group. We've got a professional group. However, do you know for a fact that they'll prepare with the same exact focus and intensity for Bowling Green that they did for Notre Dame? Well, I mean, I, I deal with 18 to 22 year olds. Right. So you don't know for a fact with anything. Right. Um, but I think when we started this process, we, we didn't start this process just to beat Notre Dame. Um, and then after the game, I talked to him about it's not about who we beat, it's about how we won the game. We won the game by having an unbelievable week of preparation. We won the game by playing really, really hard. We won the game by executing. That's something we can control every week. Um, and if you keep that focus, then you kind of eliminate the ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys in performance. Um, no, I can't sit here and say, yeah, our guys are going to be, you know, locked in this weekend. I can say that we've taken the exact same approach as we did last week and the week before and the week before that. Um, so I think, again, you know, from the from the head coaching position, it's, it's my job to make sure it's consistency and routine and consistency and approach. And I think from the player's position is understand we got to focus on how we won the game, not who we beat in the game.
So one last thought, you mentioned your time at Alabama. You were an associate head coach there, and you talked about one of the biggest takeaways from working with Nick Saban is you got to be strong up front. In fact, I thought you guys were amazing on both sides of the line. In your two seasons there, I mean, there literally is a best-selling book titled The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. In addition to what you already mentioned in this conversation, what is something else or maybe a couple of lessons that were your biggest takeaways from your time with him? Um, you know, we we could be on the phone for three hours, but I think if you just had to just pick one, I would say probably the discipline. Um, and, and discipline is not just, you know, put your hand behind the line, tuck your shirt in, you know, everybody line up in this line. Discipline is to have, the, just like you talked about, to have the discipline to come out this week and prepare with the same focus as you did last week. Um, the discipline is the discipline to make, you know, conscious choices and decisions. You know, here's something I know I'm supposed to do but I really don't want to do it. You know, can I make myself do it? You know, on the other hand, here's something I know I'm not supposed to do. Can I keep myself from doing it? You know, so those are the choices and decisions you got to make every day. And I think it starts with discipline and coach Saban is probably, you know, the best that I know at it and being consistently disciplined in all phases on and off the field. I love that response. Marshall 2-0 after beating number 8 Notre Dame 26-21. Once again, they're at Bowling Green Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern time on NFL Network. Their head coach is Charles Huff. Charles, I appreciate you. I appreciate this relationship, and I always appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much, and good luck. Awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, go hurt. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? And inevitably, Nebraska fan is rolling over. Nebraska fan has been talking so much junk about Perv for the last several years. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, come on in, Perv. Which was extremely inevitable. And I hate that it was, but I knew it. I'll get there in a minute. First, some reaction. Romy, Jesus Christ, it's Pervin Liar. Regards the doorman at every Lincoln area gentleman's club. Geoff and Lincoln. Yeah, but not every Nebraska Cornhusker fan's home. That's the problem. I'm telling you, I know I hate this. I really do. But I know you, Bugaha fan. I know you, Husker fan. You are so beaten down. Your self-esteem is so wrecked. Your identity is gone. You don't give a damn. You've been hating on this guy and talking so much junk about this guy. You would take him tomorrow. And I hate that. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Rome. Like this guy. Rome. Is a man who has openly berated Ur. 
bag liar over the years. I'd like to take it all back. Urban is coming to L-Town both this weekend and next season, and I'm here for it. Get ready for an ass-whooping Big Ten. Aaron in Omaha. War Urban actually showing up to practice on time, calling and visiting recruits. Oh, and actually winning some freaking football games. War the inevitable scandal in three years post-Urban while we're kissing our championship rings. I mean, Aaron, I hate to say it, brah, but you're a hypocrite. You just said it point blank. I hate this guy. I've been hating this guy. Oh, he's available? All is forgotten. Come on home, perv. And I'm not going to say every one of you Nebraska fans feels that way, but I bet almost every one of you Nebraska fans feel that way. And I love you, Nebraska fan. Hey, perv, happy hump day. Do me a favor. Keep it in your pants, perv. I mean it. I don't like the way you're looking at Lincoln right now. Nor flirting with them. Teasing them. I don't like that. And I really don't like the way Lincoln is buying it. And looking back at you. I mean, wouldn't you know it's hump day and perv is attempting to dry hump the state of Nebraska? Because of course he is. Allegedly. Seriously, Lincoln, heads up. A perv is coming your way this weekend. The Fox crew is headed to Lincoln for the Oklahoma game on Saturday. So hide your co-eds and your kickers. And don't fall for all this scheming. Because he hasn't even hit town yet and he's already scheming. Here was Pervin Liar yesterday on the Big Ten Network openly flirting with Husker fan. You know, Nebraska's one of the most unique fan bases I've ever experienced. One year when I was a coach at Ohio State, I asked one of my guys that worked with me, I said, you know, take me around a little bit. Let's go incognito a little bit. I just wanted to walk around, and, and I kind of did. You know, I put a hat on and just kind of was in disguise, and I just wanted to watch us because I grew up watching Tom Osborne and watching Nebraska win national championships. I, I was a big fan, and so, I mean, the fan support is as good as there is in America. They're great fans, too. And then uh, the game starts, and, and they're still there. They're there all the way to the end. They're as courteous fans as you can imagine. So I would imagine that this is just a, you know, this is just one of those things. It's a speed bump. they got to get going. But you just wonder at one point, will and if it will ever start to dissipate a little bit. I can't see it because of the ones who grew up watching Nebraska, and I've witnessed it firsthand several times on that field, those are as good of fans as there are in America. Oh, hell no. That's not one of those kind of dismissive, short, terse answers like he gives. Man, my man opened up his pie hole and the diarrhea just started flowing. He could not stop talking about them. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, it's even worse than I thought, Husker fan. Head on a swivel this weekend, Husker fan. Because I got a feeling that Perv might, quote, go incognito again. About this guy acting like he's the Pope. Yeah, I put a hat on, disguise on, so I can kind of sneak around here so they wouldn't know who I was. You know, it's not easy being me going out in public. 
Yeah, head on a swivel because this dude's going to be out there prowling around looking to get nice. But I know that's not the part of the clip that you're focused on, Husker fan. You all know what happened after that clip made the rounds on social media. Husker fans started to flip-flop, get all hot and bothered. And then all those things that they've said, like Aaron himself just said it. All those things we've said about you, Herb, over the last three to five years, just kidding, bro. We take it all back. You've got a bad rap. You're misunderstood. Come on home, perv. Husker fans start to get these delusions of grandeur. Husker fans actually started lusting for perv himself. Husker fan, I'm not doing this, all right? You know I love you. Hell, that was the first time in years I've agreed with anything that Purvis said. Because he's not wrong in the way he described you. You are special. You are unique. Which is why you are way too good for this dude. You just don't know it because you are beaten down. Because as I mentioned, your identity is wrecked. Your self-esteem is wrecked. You don't know that. You feel horrible about yourself. You feel crappy about yourself. You've lost all your mojo, all your swag, all your self-confidence. And all of a sudden, this one comes walking through the door and kind of bats her eyes at you. And you're like, oh. Herb described Nebraska fans as unique. He's right. But while he describes you as unique... That's the word he described you as, unique. That's the word that he has for you, unique. The rest of the world has a word for him, perv. And another word, liar. And the rest of the world is not wrong either. I mean this. Uh, And a perv. I know you're down. I know you're desperate. I know that you thought losing to Georgia Southern at home was rock bottom and that it cannot get any worse but it can worse would be bringing in Pervin and turning him loose to perv lie and wreck what's left of his legacy and yours as well you're better than that I know you think you're not I know you think that you can't do better don't get it twisted somebody will hire this dude It just doesn't need to be you. You can do better. Yes, I said it. You can do better. Do not bring this dude into your amazing community because we all know what's going to happen the second he gets his ass kicked, and he will. Buddy will suddenly need another night out. Buddy Buddy will start to kick his kicker. I'm that ball coach. I'll kick you whenever I want. And say that. Buddy will demand to know what his own assistants that he hired have ever won. And before long, there will be footage of him back at the chop house and in C-Bus in his Buckeye pullover, perving it all on up. And that will be while they're in the same conference. Nebraska, I know I'm in the minority. I know you want this guy. Do not sell your soul for this perv. I understand the temptation. You're wounded. 
Your confidence is shot. Your self-esteem is at an all-time low. But this dude is not the answer to all your prayers. He's not the answer to all your problems. You hire him, he'll just create new ones. Because when things go south, and they will with him, he's coming off the rails completely, and he's going to own absolutely none of it. And, and by the way, another huge problem here, he's not the coach he once was. He doesn't command the same respect he once did. He does not project the same strength he once did. He doesn't strike fear into people anymore. And the game has changed. He just creeps people out. He keeps people around who have no business being there. We've seen that. He harbors future serial killers. We've seen that. And again, I feel your pain. I I really want things to be better for you, Husker fan. I do. But who didn't see this coming? Who didn't know that by hump day, he would already be dry humping your program? I knew it was coming. And now I'm trying, and I knew what your reaction would be. I knew that you'd buy in, hook, line, and sinker. I'm trying to head this thing off at the pass before it actually comes to fruition. I'm trying to head this thing off at the pass before you do something dumb like make him an offer he can't refuse. Again, again, I know you're wounded. I know you're desperate. I know you're beaten down. I know you want to be popular again like you were back in the day. But you know what I am? I'm the good friend. I'm the good friend that's going to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Mr. Wright ain't walking through that door right now. That's not who that is. That's a perv, and it's all wrong. It's not Mr. Wright. It's all wrong. You're better than that even if you don't know it, even if you don't believe it, even if you have forgotten it. This guy needs you more than you need him. And yes, I said that too. You can do better because the second middle-of-the-road Big Ten programs punch him in the face, he'll do what he always does, kick the kicker, blame his assistants, and run back to C-Bus to get his perv on because Buddy's going to need that night out. Some sad program will hire him. Just don't let it be you. He's going to embarrass himself and the school and the community. Lincoln, my last thought. This dude has told us who he is over and over, over and over, over, over again. Over, over Listen over, to him, Lincoln. Over, 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 Husker over, fan, over, have some pride. Over, have over, some dignity. Over, over, over again. And be warned. He's already said... He might be going incognito this weekend. Be on the lookout. Head on a swivel. Because if he's going incognito, he's on the prowl. Let's go incognito a little bit. Have some dignity, Husker fan. Stop throwing yourself at this dude. Have you not seen this guy's act? I have. I think I think more highly of you than you think of yourself. 1-800-636- 8686. Don't do it. But I'll bet you, and I have no scientific data to back this up, I'll bet you 95% of you Husker fans want it. Because you love your team and you want your identity back and you want your self esteem back. What I'm saying to you is maintain your dignity. So I've got a question for you guys. 
Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said 48 hours. Generally, if something seems too good to be true, it is, but not in this case. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it does protect it. You want that. You need that. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. Jaron Hall is the quarterback at BYU. He joins me right now. Jaron, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's really good to have you on. Thank you for making time for it. Listen, I understand that you've got Oregon on the brain, but you are coming off one of the biggest victories in the history of the program, a double OT win over number nine, Baylor. Look, I understand that you've got a lot of huge opportunities in front of you, and I also understand a game like that's going to stay with you forever. Can you tell me what it was like to be in the middle of that game, and what was one of your biggest takeaways from the entire experience? Yeah, it was fun. It was exciting. It's what every kid dreams of, you know, that wants to play football on, on Saturdays in college. Um, but the thing I took away most was just how calm and confident collected our team was. I think that speaks to Kalani and the way he prepares us each and every week, um, the way he teaches us to love and trust each other and then just uh, putting that to, to practice each and every day together on the field and in the meeting room. So just looking around throughout, you know, the four quarters when things were up and things were down, it was very, very calm, very confident, and it was something that I uh, I definitely leaned on thanks to, you know, my teammates being ready and, and, and uh, prepared for the moment. I think, Jaron, I'm on the outside looking in, but I think they also leaned on you for that very thing, and I understand that it's bigger than you. It's the program. It's the culture. It's Kalani. I'm glad you brought him up. Like, Kalani Sataki to me is a coach and, in fact, a man that I've got tremendous respect and admiration for. What's he like for you to play for? You play for a guy that, you know, loves you. He cares for you first and foremost off the field. And because of that love and, and that respect off the field, you want to give him everything you have on the field. And so that, you know, that includes the way you act off the field, the way you uphold the program, what we stand for, and then just the way we uphold, you know, the standards of excellence and the way we train putting everything we have into practice in the film study, <clears throat> expecting that from each other, holding each other accountable, and it all comes from love. You know, that's our standard and, and our uh, kind of our team theme is love and learning, and that's really what gets us through everything. We're talking to BYU quarterback Jaron Hall. He joins us. Now, you had a couple of your top receivers who were not available because they had been hurt. So I'm curious, what do you make of the way freshman Chase Roberts stepped up on such an enormous stage and played the way he, the, played the way that he did? Super impressed with Chase, but I wasn't surprised at all. You know, I've seen the body of work he's put in over the last two years being here with us. And I, you know, I know Fessy and A-Rod had, had really told him to go out there and just do what he needs to do. You, know, there's, you don't need to do more than what you have, but just be you. Because Chase is special enough. He's a good enough receiver to get it done. And he showed that. And along with him, him you know, I wouldn't be doing justice, but to speak for all the other guys, Cody, Cosper, uh, Kibo, you know, they all stepped in and played a huge role for us. I hear that. Let me ask you one more thing about Roberts himself. You became the first BYU quarterback, and when you say something like that, that in and of itself is something given the history of the quarterbacks who played that position, which I'll go back to, but you became the first BYU quarterback to throw and catch a touchdown pass in the same game. Given how many big TD passes you've thrown, how cool was it to be on the receiving end of a pass, and what kind of a ball did Chase throw? Yeah, that was something special. Just the way we finished the play, 
um, scoring with your you know four offensive linemen lead blocking for you up the field. It's not something every quarterback gets to do. So turn and celebrate with those guys is pretty special. Uh, but Jason, I mean, he executed perfectly, threw a good ball, spun it really well, easy easy to catch. Um, and props to him. We only gave him you know three days heads up that he'd be the guy throwing that. So he uh, he didn't he didn't blink twice. Stepped in and got it done. I'm telling you, it says so much about that guy that he's a young player that not only is he running the routes that he's running, making the plays that he's making, but throwing a ball like in that situation, like clearly the moment was not too big to him. I wonder, the points that you put up on the board before halftime, obviously that's huge. You want to go into halftime. You want those points. You want that momentum. But was there something you figured out on that drive against Baylor and what they were doing defensively that you were able to carry into the second half that helped? Yeah, just a better understanding that they weren't going to play the defense that we necessarily, you know, prepared for the bulk of our our practice leading up to it. Um, we had some ideas that they might have a little two-man that they might bring out, but they played a lot more than we expected, um, played a, a little more cloud coverage at times. And so just on that drive, we spread them out a lot more, and we, we got those safeties to kind of declare where they were going sooner on in the pre-snap and, and you know, quick post-snap. So we were able to, just to, to find space, find out where they were dropping to, how they were playing their two-man or their zone looks. And really, from then on, we kind of stuck with that that spread look and, and just made them declare what they were doing. BYU quarterback Jaron Hall is joining us. Now, Jaron, you come from a huge BYU family. Your father played running back there in the 90s. Your mom was a BYU gymnast. Your brother was a running back for the Cougs. You've got another brother, Kyson, who's a current teammate playing wide receiver. I mean, can you sum up what BYU means to you and your family? Yeah, BYU is where my, my parents met. And, and you know, my mother was a gymnast. My father played football. Uh, they got married and, and settled down here in Provo. So, you know, for my dad to come from his, his walk of life to join the church, to end up in Provo, and then my mom being from here, all of her family, um, it said something to how special this place is that my dad would, would find her and they'd settle down here and raise their kids here. So BYU's always had a special place in our hearts. And then obviously you grew up watching your dad, um, you know, clips of him and hearing about your mom being a gymnast. It's just, you know, as a kid, you can't help but gravitate towards that school. Now, that's not ultimately why I came here, but – it was, a, it was a big role in that. And then seeing your older brother play and, and having your younger brothers join. So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, was it a no-brainer <laughs> and preordained? Or were you kind of curious about maybe there's something else out there? Maybe I want to walk my own path? Or were you going there no matter what? No, it was definitely something that I fell upon later in my recruiting. Um, my dad was pretty – it was cool with me. Up front, he, you know, he was like, son, you don't have to go here. You, you don't have to follow my footsteps because this is your life. Your, it's your journey. And so I took that to heart. You know, Utah was my first offer, and, and Kalani and Coach Roderick were actually up there at the time. And so I was really leaning towards, towards Utah. And then later in my recruiting, I thought about Utah, even after being committed to BYU. And then uh, Coach Kalani, you know, came in and, and kind of pulled me back towards, towards BYU, and that's where I stayed. So it was definitely a little bit of a journey. It wasn't preordained, I wouldn't say, but uh, I'm glad that it ended up the way it did. You know, I really appreciate that candor. And by the way, two great <laughs> programs, two great programs, two great Absolutely. opportunities. And I'm curious, Absolutely. like, for instance, Jaron, like Notre Dame, BYU is an independent football program, which means you're going to get the opportunity to play Notre Dame next month mm -hmm. in Vegas. Being an independent mm -hmm. means you've got a very unique schedule with games coming up later against yeah. Arkansas, Stanford, Oregon this Saturday. How much has your team embraced the mentality that we will play anyone, anywhere? Yeah, I think that's become a theme over the last couple of years, especially during that COVID season. You saw that a lot in the expression from our players, some of our leaders, and then just in the way the schedule worked out with COVID. You know, all of our games got canceled, so we had to put together a whole new schedule. And luckily, we were independent, so it was able to work out in our favor. But, you know, especially this last year being independent, we're really, you know, taking pride in ourselves and, and, and loving and respecting the opponents all across the country, the different type of football you get to play, uh, the different opponents, and, and, you know, the beauty and all the goodness from all over the country. So it's, it's special to be able to travel all around, 
see different people from different places and just love the game of football, you know, as it comes where you're at. A couple of things, Jaron, before you go, you've mentioned that word love quite a few times. Like the program is based on love. We love each other. We love the opportunity. We even love the opposition. You know, there was that moment after that game uh, against Baylor where you sought out the kicker, Jake Oldroyd. And I know you've talked about this, but it was so viral. Why was it so important for you to seek him out the way you did? And maybe can you share the conversation you had with him or part of it? Yeah, I just, I mean, it's something that we're we're taught about often. And and earlier in that week, um, Derwin Gray, you know, a former safety at BYU, now pastor, um, you know, in in the Carolinas, in his church, he spoke to us about love, lifting, leaving a legacy. And and so I think all of us in our minds throughout that game was how can we love each other more? How can we do better? And seeing, you know, that Jake was obviously upset with himself, um, you know, considering the circumstances of the game, what we didn't know was going to happen at that point. We didn't know if we were going to win or lose going to that last drive. And, so when I, I just kind of walked down the other field, I saw him there, and I said, you know what, I better, I better kneel by him, make sure he knows win or lose that he's loved, we got his back, because you know he's he's gotten us out of you know one or two situations that I can think of very specifically, um, <clears throat> and so I just want him to know he was loved, and if it wasn't me, I know it would have been somebody else, you know. So I'm the one that gets all the the praise for it just because the camera caught me there, but I know that every other one of my teammates would have done the same thing for him, and, and he'd done the same for me, so. That's just uh, the way our team is built. It's the way Kalani builds each and every one of us as men. And that's something we just, you know, kind of pride ourselves on. Again, Jaron, you're leading from the front. You're not going to make it about you, but I'm going to try and get you to make it about you for one question. (laughs) BYU is a very different place for a number of reasons, Mm -hmm. but what a great, great tradition of quarterback play there's been there. Steve Young, Jim McMahon, Ty Detmer, Mm -hmm. Zach Wilson, Robbie Bosco. I could go on and on. What's it mean to be a part of that exclusive fraternity and to carry on that tradition? It's very special, um, especially because of the guys that were here before, you know, knowing some of the uh, who I think will be great, you know, and Zach Wilson, Tanner Mangum, his legacy, all those guys, and then some of the older guys before that, right, the BYU history will always remember. Um, but, again, to know each of those guys and some of the older guys reaching out, they're, they're all for supporting, loving, and, and allowing you just to play how you do. You know, they're, all their messages to me have been just go do you, be yourself. And I think a lot of people might think it's, it's walking the big shoes, which it is. But uh, what people don't know is how humble each and every one of those guys have been here are and kind of letting you lead your own legacy and play the way you do, but also loving and supporting. So I'm grateful for those guys, grateful for the conversations with them, and you know, it's just a blessing to be here. Jaron, one thing, I don't, not to be too personal, but I don't think that a lot of people understand. It's a very unique opportunity when you go to BYU. I'm curious, when you went away for your two-year mission, what was it like? Like, what was it like to be away, and what was it like to do yeah. that work and then return? It was tough. I mean, any any kid at the age of 17, 18, getting ready to leave his family, I mean, I mean, think of everything you're doing. You're playing sports, hanging out with your friends on the weekends, whatever you like to do, video games, golfing, whatever it is. I mean, you get rid of all that stuff. Leave your phone. You leave all your, your contacts and connections of comfort, and you go somewhere you've never been for two years with strangers that you don't know. Um, and you hold on to, you know, your faith and your desire to do good work and to be like Jesus. But it's a tough two years. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, you get comfortable. Uh, but for me, obviously, leaving football behind and knowing to be back, it was I was you know very eager to get back and then returning. You know, it's it's not a two-year mission of awesome by any means. So you you know you get out of shape, you lose kind of the mental edge you once had with football. And so for me, it took a couple years to get that back, and that was very frustrating and it, it took a lot of patience. But you know, thanks to my teammates and coaches, just it kept encouraging me. You know, I finally got to where I am now after a couple of years, and you know that's uh, every every you know every missionary story is different. It's different how quickly they get back to the game, but for me it was a little bit of a longer process. So that's uh, kind of my journey. Yeah, just very, uh, I had to be patient.
I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate that response. All right, so one final thought. When you look at the film of Oregon, what is the first thing that jumps out maybe, and what are some of the biggest challenges they present this week? Yeah, impressive look at defense um, all across the board. You know, every guy sticks out. They look like they're in the right place. Good-looking athletes. They're big, physical, fast, uh, coached very well. So we're going to have to be on the top of our A game. You know, regardless of the, the, the scene you're in and the, um, you know, crowd noise and other things, you got to be ready to do your, your 111th and your assignment. So that's our focus this week is just making sure we do our job better than them because, you know, there's not going to be one guy across the ball from us that shouldn't be there. And so a lot of respect to that team and the way they're coached. And, you know, regardless of rankings and other things, we got to play, you know, and prepare better than we have all year. Well said, and Autzen is never an easy place to go to. I think that the same would be said about your place, but Autzen definitely is a tough place to go, and I know you know that. BYU quarterback Jaron Hall joining us. BYU 2-0 coming off that enormous win. Jaron, normally I don't keep a guest that long, but that was a really good conversation. I appreciate you. Thanks for making time, and really great to have you on the show, Jaron. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Good talking to you. This guy's going to set the tone. My beef is with the mess my wife creates in our shower. It looks like James Kelly washes dogs up in there. And my wife is hot. I am not married to Chewbacca or Buffalo Woman. Nevertheless, if I mailed all that hair to Iray, he would have enough floss for years. Casey in New Hampshire. What makes you think he cares about his teeth? Gym Master, my beef is with the self-checkouts. The bag at the local supermarket actually encouraged me to self-check out. I informed the bag that she shouldn't encourage anybody to self-check out as those machines were put in to eliminate her job. She looked at me like she had just seen the Messiah. Also, where is our discount for self-checkout? Unwar machines replacing the bag. Er, bagger. Ron in Colorado, that's well done, actually. I mean, that's not like blow me away funny, but that's well done. That's well said. Hey, Rome, you want to know what my beef is? It's with idiots who don't move out of the way when an ambulance is trying to get through. I'm sure if it was your family member who was in the back of that vehicle, you would feel a little differently about trying to save three seconds off your morning commute. Jeff from PDX. How weird is this? Jim, my beef is with bags who gain a position in traffic when we all pull off to let an ambulance go by. This is a reason to go. Everybody should get back in traffic in the same position they pulled off. Jim in Temecula. Like NASCAR, right? It's kind of weird that back-to-back ambulance beefs. Jim, my beef is with Husker fans who think the Pervin Liar is even remotely a good choice for head football coach. Your take is spot on. Trev Alberts has to be smarter than that, and I will be sorely disappointed if he even takes a phone call from Pervin. Give Mickey Joseph a chance, and if that does not work, look under any rock that you want except for the one that Pervin hides under. Rod and Lincoln. Hey, Jim, my beef is with the 50-50 raffle people screaming, donate it back, donate it back after you win. Hey, everyone, 50-50 means half to charity, half to the winner. Stop guilting me into feeling like an ass for keeping the money that I won. Keith in Milwaukee. Hey, Rome, I've got a beef with my sister. 
She says she's going to be in town for the long Labor Day weekend and asks if she can stay with me. I say, sure. And 11 days later, she leaves. My guest room is in shambles. My fridge is empty. And not to forget the water bottle full of cigarette butts on the deck. Hey, sis, next time hit the Motel 6. Aaron in Iowa. Sir Jimothy, my beef is with resort gym guy. You go to a resort to drink alcohol and pig out at the buffet. What's the point of working out? Julian, formerly in Edmonton, I disagree with that. The point of working out is to somehow try to mitigate or limit the damage you're doing at the buffet and when you drink liquor. I always work out on vacation. One, because you have time. My thought is, if I can't at least get a workout in on vacation, I'm not doing a damn positive thing all day long. And number two, I do murder the buffet and happy hour. I'm trying to mitigate the damage. That one I disagree with. You have to murder your workout so you can murder the buffet. I'm trying to limit the damage. I'd rather come home only having gained seven or eight pounds and not 15 Romy, my beef is with chicks who use slightly blurry and very dated pictures on the dating site, forcing you to climb out the bathroom window at the restaurant when you meet Snaggletooth in person. Scott from Jamestown, New York. Scotty. Number one, I'm sure it goes the other way, too. I'm sure, quote, chicks feel the same way about dudes who are fat and balding, and they've got to, quote, climb out the window in the bathroom. I have a question. Has anybody ever used a dating app, ever, been disappointed by what they encountered and, quote, climbed out the bathroom window? If so, I want to meet that legend. I don't mean cut it short. I don't mean, you know, this isn't going to work out. I mean, went into the bathroom and climbed out the window and ran. That'd be the best. Rome Slice, you always say you've got a beef with the airplane crop duster. Let me stop right there. You know why I always say that? Because I do. It's disgusting. Reminds me of that time that dude got up on that cart. Anyway. Rome Slice, you always say you've got a beef with the airplane crop duster. Well, I've got an even bigger beef with the anonymous son of a bitch. Repeatedly dropping SBDs, silent but deadly, during a crowded work meeting. If you're going to do that, go park Rome's car. Breath holdingly yours, Geoff. Geoff, every one of your submissions is an SBD to this program. And Geoff, how old are you, dude? Are you an adult? Do you still talk in terms of, quote, SBDs? Silent but deadlies should have left your vernacular when you were nine. Hey, Rome, my beef? I saw a grown man make a heart shape with his hands and put it over his heart while saying thank you to somebody. WTH, Chad from Orlando. What, Chad, you mean like this? (laughs) 
Matt in the 604. My beef is with my so-called animal-proof garbage cans that cost way too much, yet the ocean's 11 raccoons in my yard are able to break into them within 30 seconds of locking the lid. Trash everywhere. I like that. That's original. Rome. Jerry Jones is my beef. As a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan in the PNW, I am sick of this owner slash GM. Since you made a deal with the devil in 95 and you won a Super Bowl without Jimma, we loyal fans are paying for it with your bad players, your horrible puppets, er, I mean coaches, and overall product. Quit now, please. Sad Steve from the Pacific Northwest. Good news, bad news. Bad news, he will never quit. Good news, he'll leave soon. Like Rit. Ooh, Alvy. Time to leave. Snacks. My beef is with Disney family and their apparel when flying to John Wayne Airport. I'm all for repping the brand, but damn. There is no need to tell the entire flight staff you are headed to Disneyland. We can obviously see that when mom, dad, and kids are swagged out from head to toe in Mickey gear, carrying Mickey luggage, and sporting the Mickey ears on your dome. Please don't. We get it. War Eagle, Clubber and HB. Anytime you want to crack on the mouse, I'm fine with that. Dear Jim, My beef is with credit card companies who still ask me to sign the back of their cards. First off, they make that minuscule signing area with some kind of plastic true code that causes the ink to either smear to hell or not adhere at all. And second, I buy a lot of crap. No cashier is spared a sideways collect. I almost made it through the whole segment after those almonds. And second, I buy a lot of crap. No cashier has spared a sideways glance at my signature in 15 years, let alone asked me to reproduce it to verify that I'm me. What are we doing here? Brett and Bugaw. I agree with that. All right, so I've got more of those, but I want to try the phone calls. Let's try Ed in San Antonio. What's going on, Ed? What's your beef? Hey, got you, amigo. What up? What up? Hey, my beef is wine-tasting wine snob guy. You know, I pay $500 to stare at the back of your head while you're talking about the nuances and the bouquet of some wine that some server just gave you. Hey, senior cork block, take your pour, say thank you, and move along, butthole. My man, that's what you do. You take, you take what's a pretty good beef and you tag it with butthole, and you make it a very good beef. That was well played. Let's try Connor in Ohio. Connor, what's your beef? Hey, my beef is when a rock station is playing my favorite song, and then a few seconds in, they stop the music, they say whatever their name is, the song is over, and they go on to playing something else. It was all just a tease. It's like when Alvy has the family drop, but then he doesn't play the whole Jughead song. I want to hear the whole song. I'm out. Got that, Alvin, you butthole? I don't even know what he's talking about. It's one thing disc jockeys are supposed to lay out once the song starts. But what do you mean, like, they start the song, they start talking, and then they end the song? You know, like, they DQ? 
It's a pump fake. It's a tease. It's a promo. I don't know. Don't know. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Vegas. Jared in Las Vegas. Jared, what's your beef? My beef is with these punk-ass Raider fans that think that Derek Carr should be replaced after one week. Hey, idiots, Joe Burrow just had five turnovers. Why don't you give it a rest? Buttholes. I mean, Joe Burrow did have the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow did have the greatest single season a college quarterback ever had. Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. That might not be the best comparison. I agree, though. Derek Carr, I mentioned it yesterday. He didn't play great, but it's not all his fault. He still has issues in front of him. The turnstiles in front of him. I felt like Leatherwood was still in front of him. It's not all Derek Carr's fault. And he had no problem finding Devontae Adams, did he? It's not Stidham time yet, buttholes. Good night!